2: Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable.
3: The array of options is so much greater today.
1: U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County.
2: Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org.
4: Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK.
3: Hello and welcome along to the Five Yard Rush flagship show. Uh, Here following the the divisional round, last week was Super Wildcard and uh, Super was missing. Well, it was back in full force this week for the divisional rounds. Uh, I'm your host as always, Dan. I'm joined as ever by Murph. Murph, how are you?
5: How are you you?
0: yeah, uh feel a lot better today. Dan, uh, that's for sure. I mean, obviously not with the results of yesterday, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's been a it's been a tough we week. To, uh, we don't need to talk NFL this week, so <laughs> <laughs> I think we do. But um a catharsis I think if nothing else. Um but yeah, it, it's been a difficult week uh with with COVID. Um but I feel better today. Um this is day 8, so I feel better today than I certainly have done through the weekend and uh just blessed to be here. It's always great to do a show. It's always great to have a friend on uh who I really admire and his work I really respect. So I'm looking forward to today's show. At times I'm probably gonna be a bit sad. Um but that's fine. Um, like I said, catharsis. I think Daniel, you and I need it more than anyone. Oh, but yes. um <clears throat> if nothing else, it's it's been a fantastic weekend. And and for anybody who you know, is unsure about the NFL, and obviously you're not because you're listening to this. But <laughs> if you are have friends who so you've been trying to get into NFL for a while, and you they always struggle with the stops, the starts, and and the advert breaks and everything, just play them the this weekend's games, and in particular the two from yesterday, and just I I guarantee you it will convert fans. I guarantee it that some of your friends will peak interest because sport does not get better as a drama as a story as a a narrative than it did yesterday in two completely different but phenomenal games and the, the two games on saturday you know any other weekend we'd be talking about those games for days maybe even weeks they might just be an afterthought purely just on what happened on sunday but in their own right, with terrific games. And as you said, we'll it, it was into a them. super weekend. Yeah. So um... It was.
3: We'll get into that. But as you may see, we're also joined here uh, by BJ Riddell. BJ is the Fantasy Football Director over
5: at Pro Football Network. How are you, BJ? Are you well? Dan, Murph, I'm doing all right. Uh, and, Good. Uh, Murph, sorry about your on this. And, uh, yeah, but what a great uh, what a great day to talk about uh, football, just because it, it, uh, it's been an up-and-down season for uh, a lot of us fans who weren't sure even whether games would be canceled um what players you know conditions would be with uh, with covid and uh, uh the season is peaking at the perfect time uh and uh just seeing the high caliber caliber playing ability of some of these guys out there um and these just big play players i mean i, I can't it sounds redundant but it's true there's a Each of these teams that play this weekend have multiple big play players uh, Mm. who could take over games. And uh, and we saw some of them uh, outshined by next year's bigger play players, guys like Mm. Gabriel Davis. So it's it really had everything. And I agree with you entirely. If there's people out there who are on the fence about football, what happened this weekend really defines why we keep coming back for more.
3: It does. And how are things over at Pro Football
5: Network? What have you been up to? They're great, thank you. I started with them at the beginning of October, and uh, so this is my first partial season with them. Uh, I've always uh, done fantasy football as a hobby. Um, It's been a a full-on part-time hobby, but uh, but a hobby. And so it's been very uh, interesting to work for an organization that's um, growing and uh, has a clear mission uh and uh a pretty clear identity and is uh, uh expanding in terms of what it's trying to do including in fantasy football so it's really exciting to be a part of that
3: good uh, and we enjoy the work you guys are, are putting out for us so um we'll touch on the games there should we, we go through them a little bit in, in order um not you start us off bengals tires i mean bj just mentioned players and big game players turning up and, and carrying teams on their back. And this is probably a case of one, not on one of the sites, right? Derek Henry was back.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Derek Henry had a, had a decent game. Um, he had a better game than perhaps I, I thought he might, you know, he got in okay. the end zone. He, he really, you know, for a guy who's been out for 10 plus weeks to see him, you know, I, I think, you know, if your expectation was Derek Henry was going to come in, run for 150 yards and of the Bengals, then I think two things. One, you're probably disrespecting this Bengals defense who have been very good against the run, top five against the run this year. Um, And two, you're probably just forgetting the fact that he's been out for 10 weeks with a foot injury, regardless of whether or not he, you know, he's not going to be 100%. You know, yeah. it does take time. And especially with the running back position, it's one of those positions that it is repetition. It's doing it every single day. And it's why practice is so important for that position. It's just finding the holes. It's it's reading the coverages. You know, it's, it's such an important position to do through repetition over and over again. You know, you can see linebackers miss games, come out, have a massive game. Because as long as they can find a guy in an open field and and they remember how to tackle, they can still have a pretty productive game. I'm not saying their practices aren't important. I'm not saying that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very rare that you'll get a running back just from cold, go and have an absolutely massive game. And he probably hasn't practiced all that much because he was only activated a few days before. So I still think what he did in just the – the scenario and circumstances was nothing short of remarkable, something that only Derek Henry and very few players can do. But, you know, you have to give credit to, you know, the Bengals because despite the fact that that offensive line really did leak a lot and, you know, that has been that Achilles heel for a while now and a lot of questions were asked why they didn't draft uh Penn Isuel over, over Jamal Chase. I mean, I think that yep. argument's been put to bed this season, but, you, you know what the Bengals did was just keep with it. They made plays. Mike Hilton, big free agency signing, made plays. Um, and he made two. I mean, he made two, two plays in a row. You know, he, he gets the tackle the takedown Foreman and then he, he gets the interception um, through a great read. And that changed the game for me. I think at that point, Titans score, it's game over. I think the Titans go on and they advance. And Mike Hilton changed yeah. the, the nature of the game. And the other thing here is, you know, Evan McPherson, you know, in that game against Green Bay, people were talking about him being cut. You know, he's a phenomenal kicker. And it's proof that sometimes that position doesn't get a lot of respect. And, you know, we joke about in fantasy football, the scoring's broken the cans down. You know, I understand people who don't want to play with kickers in leagues. I get it 100%. I do. And I don't even massively anti it. But having said that, it's an important position in football and we saw that this weekend all these games were defined by kicks and Evan McPherson kicks a game winner from 52 and you know he was drafted it's why you draft a kicker sometimes you know people say fifth round too much for a kicker you tell that the Bengals organization now they're taking that pick all the way to the bank how many fifth round picks are going to have the impact that Evan McPherson has had down the stretch and also in uh, in Saturday's game
3: that's it. They did they, they certainly drove it on. It was touch and goal all the way to the line. Um but I think Bengals are becoming a lot of people's second favourite team through this this little playoff run at the minute. I think that the youth and the the exuberance that they're going at games at the minute is uh, is encouraging for a lot of people. So uh BJ, I'm gonna throw it to you. The the Niners and the Packers and uh well quite possibly Aaron Rodgers' last game at Martin Lambeau, and everywhere in a
5: Green Bay jersey. Yeah, I was going to mention the Bengals real quick too. If that's okay, some things to keep in mind. Joe Mixon, I'm fascinated by by him. He had back to back, I think it was 30 plus touch games in the middle of the season, and since then he hasn't cleared 3.9 yards of carry in any game. He's averaged about 3.4 since then. I'm really interested to see what he can do next week in Kansas City. Um, He's definitely involved in the passing game. He's still a great running back. But statistically, objectively, he has slowed down. I find that fascinating. I'm also really interested from a dynasty perspective what Dante Foreman can do to this backfield next year. Derrick Henry is on pace for about 465 touches when he went down, which would have been blue, uh, would have blown uh, the record out of the water uh, for all time touches in a season by about 50. Um, I don't think Tennessee rides Derrick Henry 26, 28 touches a game next year, or 30 touches a game. I think Foreman has carved out a strong complementary role. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how those two play off each other next season. And what could be a pretty run friendly offense, uh, as far as the Packers uh, and, uh, uh, and the Niners, you know, I can speak to this on a fantasy perspective. I think, I think a lot of people have talked about the uh, special team woes of green Bay um, And the, uh, Uh, the pluckiness of this Niners team uh, to basically, as I see it, rise above a mediocre quarterback um, to ascend. I think that we would be speaking very differently about the Niners. I don't want to speak crassly about this, but if the Niners had a top eight quarterback, um, they would probably be the favorites for the Super Bowl. Um, They don't. And so Jimmy Garoppolo can have uh, the worst quarterback day Uh, of the weekend and still pull out an upset. I think he's one of only about three quarterbacks. Um, I think it was one of three teams in the last 20 years or something like that in the postseason to win despite not scoring a touchdown. And we're seeing a lot of that from Garoppolo. He's had some good games, but he's going to have a tough time on the road, even against a team that the Niners have beaten six straight times in the Rams. Um, I think Garoppolo remains the weak spot. If they can use Elijah Mitchell – uh, as, uh, you know, in helping to move the chains and Debo Samuel and and quick outs to George Kittle. I think that helps protect Garoppolo. But if Garoppolo is playing catch-up, uh, we have seen time and again that that is not his forte. Um, he couldn't do what Matthew Stafford did against him, you know, or, or excuse me, what what Brady did against the Rams. He couldn't have done even uh, what Tennessee did to catch up to Cincinnati. It's not, that offense is not built that way. They've only lost one game this this year by a lot. And at the end of that game, they were just dumping off to Elijah uh, Elijah Mitchell. So um, I've I've spoken a lot about that part, but I just want to get that out there. And as far as the Packers, uh, Aaron Jones uh, and and A.J. Dillon, just a fascinating backfield. Um, I I understand why they re-signed Jones. I definitely understand why they drafted Dillon. And I do believe that it's too much that they have in that backfield right now. I think the team would have been better off. Um, If they had upgraded somewhere else or if they had not signed Jones and used that money on another player, I have believed all season that, and I've written about this extensively to much uh, consternation uh, from many people who drafted Jones in the first round, that Dylan is just as talented as Jones. Um, Their metrics are very similar in terms of yards after, after first contact and things of that nature. Next year, I'm really interested to see is this a 50 50 timeshare, and are people going to overdraft Jones, thinking they're getting a top 16 running back?
0: Yeah, and I and I think I think you're right, BJ. There, and I think the reason why people keep dipping back to Jones is because in previous years, even when he had uh, Williams there, you know, he only was getting 54, 55 percent of the share, but he was making that count at a ridiculously efficient rate that it didn't matter. He could get 54, 55% of the ball and still be an RB1 most weeks because he was hyper efficient in the red zone. He was hyper efficient in the passing game and he can make things happen. Even yesterday, you know, or Saturday night, you know, he was still hyper efficient as a player for a fantasy perspective. You know, he doesn't get much done on the ground. All of a sudden, he's got nine touches. He gets a screen pass, he breaks one off. That's where. You know, people are always going to dip back to Aaron Jones, but I do agree with you that actually at what point it's, it's just not sustainable at some point you are either one going to go to the younger player anyway, because of tread on the tires and and everything else, because talent wise, there isn't much of a dip, if any, at all, as you say, but two, you know, and, and, and one of the things, and Jack's got a question here I'm going to get to in a second is Nathaniel Hackett's probably going to go. He's not going to be there next season. We think he's probably going to go to Denver. He's having a second interview today. I'm not convinced he's the answer to Denver's problems. If um, if I'm being honest, I don't think. I think he's had a decent, more than decent career. You know, he took you know his offensive coordinator the Jags when they went to the AFC title game. Um, he made like Bortles look confident, uh, competent. Which you know, you have to give him some kudos for that. Um, but then on top of that, you know, he 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 has put together a team that's got three 13-win seasons in a row and caught the plays on them. Having said that, there's nothing in his play calling that gives me any sort of confidence that if he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers behind him, that he's going to dial up a load of great plays. And that's where I think Denver are going to have a problem. Now, if Rodgers ends up in Denver, it's going to be a great hire. But that's that's going to be the thing but to jack's point about any issues with matt Lafleur, great season coach can't get it done the playoffs i think when i look at yesterday's game i find it hard to fault matt and normally i would normally i'd sit here and i i'm similar to jack i think he's over praised for his in-season record you know 13 win season three wins in a, in a row i mean it's great it's phenomenal you're in that time you're What one and three in the playoffs, two and three in the playoffs, two and three in the playoffs. And the same thing comes back to the Packers every single year. They can't stop the run. They cannot get enough points to get ahead and manage a lead. And they cannot seem to get it done in a tight spot in the fourth quarter. But having said that, that game was in hand. The game was in hand yesterday or Saturday night, even at 10-3. Yes, they should be ahead by more, and I think to be honest, I think players like Rogers and I think the offense should take a lot of the fault as well as the special teams. But as a coaching unit, in terms of managing the game, I think Matt Lafleur did the right things. You know, he loses on a on basically a freak play. The offense not clicking was because the players didn't make plays. You know, the the, the calls were right. He had guys open. Rogers missed open guys. They just—you can argue maybe he was slightly too conservative, maybe—but the Niners have done nothing all game. I don't mind that if if you've got a plan, it's working. You know, you stick to it. I I find it hard to make Matt the floor culpable for Saturday's defeat. Yes, he probably could have been a bit more adventurous, but as a whole, I do think that he needs to be more adventurous. And I think a new OC will help. I actually think them losing Hackett will force them into some. Some some changes, and I think they're going to have changes anyway. They've got the second most amount of cap uh, currently, they're 44 45 million over the cap. They're going to have to lose some players. I, I personally think Rogers is done, he sounds like a man who's done. I actually think that's no great loss to the organization. He's not winning you rings, he's not getting you to Super Bowls, and that seems harsh because he's the MVP, right? Or he's going to be the MVP, but he's not getting you there. So, actually, you need to do something different. And I think a reinvestment of this team will be will be massive.
5: Do you think that was a distraction for the team? I know these all they're all professionals, but there was a lot of drama going on with Rodgers for the last eleven months, uh, even going back to their lost lost last year in the playoffs to to Brady and the Bucks. Do you think that in that locker room there is a lack of cohesion? That there is a sense that this is our window and damn it there's like all the pressure is on to win and and this is our last chance but not in a good way more in a disruptive way
0: i i'd be honest i don't think it's that if i'm going to be really honest and this is supporting a team like the buccaneers who have been so bereft of leadership for so long until brady turned up it's a leadership problem who's the leader of the of the green bay packers and and people will say rogers is rogers really a lead? he's not a leader to me any guy that's, who puts yeah. his organization, as you say, he's been a distraction, but he puts his organization out there in the firing line time and time and time again. He doesn't take hits for his teammates. He's not self-critical. He doesn't take the team on his back and say, right. guys, that was my fault today. I I messed up. Um, no, he. the first thing he did in that press conference is he threw special teams right under the bus.
5: Yeah, that's, that's what I'm league, getting at. Yeah,
0: that's and I think but I think as well there's not a, there's not another there's no one standing up to Rogers. So I think mm-hmm. that's one problem. But the other problem is who's the guy in the locker room who's gonna go to Aaron Rodgers and say you just need to shut the heck up. Yeah. Or in the organization or somewhere, someone has to turn around and say to yeah. Rogers, you just need to not get in a camera, you just need to shut up, and you need to let your football do the talking. And no one is. That's a leadership. You
5: With any other position, I think it's tough with quarterback, especially a 38 year old quarterback who's, you know, one of the most decorated of his generation. Uh, It's it you start to be above uh, reproach. And when a player is above reproach, um, they better act like it. Otherwise, it can be extremely disruptive if there's a, a perception on a team that you're playing by two different rules. I actually had a conversation with a fantasy analyst not long ago about week 18. And I was arguing that, uh, you know, Packers should just rest their guys. Why risk an injury? And the analyst said, well, if Rodgers is out there, everyone's going to join their leader. And I said, how do, we, how do we think that Dylan and Jones and Adams and others are excited to go out there and play in week 18 for nothing? For Rodgers, knowing that, you know, he's, at that point, he might have even said if they reach the Super Bowl, he, you know, he might not play or whatever. It was, there, there was a sense of, are they really going to follow this guy? And I think the fact that I'm asking that question, not to say I know anything, but it, it raises the question, is, was there enough of a dissent in that locker room? Especially, and I'll bring this up too, getting Randall Cobb and not using him in the biggest game of the season. Uh, you know That was Roger's guy. He insisted on getting Randall Cobb on that team. And I think he targeted him once. Uh, the the, the te- Teams understand what's going on on the inside. They know if someone, you know, Brady gets Gronk, Gronk gets used. Brady gets Antonio Brown, Brown gets used. If you're Rodgers and you insist on getting a guy and then he's not one of your primary targets, why are you spending that money? Why are you uh, distracting from the development of other players like Lazard and MVS who you need to get those reps and get that experience and be in the fire? I think I think it it creates just with that point is that Rodgers, no one can stand up to him like you're saying Merv, and uh, and we see someone who was playing for for his own ring, not for the Packers. It looked like from the outside that he was playing for his ring, and I think that showed up on the field.
0: But and I, and I go back to this point that Dan and I made a few weeks ago that everyone was ready to anoint the Packers as as winners of the Super Bowl before the playoffs started. I watched a graphic on Sky Sports. And every pundit but Sean Gale picked the Packers to win the Super Bowl. And I Dan and I talked about this before the playoffs. I said they're not making the Super Bowl. Who's picking them to win the Super Bowl? Like seriously, who is, I granted, Dan actually picked the 49ers to win. I did pick the Packers. I thought the Packers <laughs> would just would just have enough. But I, I thought the Packers would lose next week. I didn't think they were gonna make the Super Bowl. And I it just because I just don't expect I don't expect Aaron Rodgers to pull out. A W in a tight spot. I just don't. He he's never done it. You know the guy has in the fourth quarter of games when trailing to a team with a winning record. He's pulled out a W once in his entire career. One fourth quarter comeback when trailing against a team with a winning record in his entire career. That's insane. Yeah, this guy's going to go down as one of the best of all time. He's going to go down as a Hall of Famer. Has he done it in a tight spot?
5: I think Ryan Fitzpatrick has uh, a bunch more.
0: Blake Bortles has more. (laughs) Blake Bortles has more. Like, I could name a ton of quarterbacks to have more than that. Like I'm I just I'm not I'm not digging Rogers out. I'm not digging Rogers out. Rogers is Rogers. He is what he is. Do I think he's a monumental loss to the Green Bay Packers? I don't think he is. I think I think they needed to get rid. I think when they drafted Jordan Love at the time, I thought it was crazy. Now I think it's a good idea. I think you put him out there.
2: Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforumc
0: You trade him, or you let him retire. Whichever way works for you, you decide what you're going to do with your players, and you build a nucleus around your new quarterback. And I think the time is now. And for the, back to this Matt Lafleur discussion, Matt Lafleur has allowed this all to happen. They have pandered to, they've pandered to Aaron Rodgers the last three years. They've pandered to him. They gave him the power. You know, we saw this with Antonio Brown, the Buccaneers. Yes, the way it transpired on television is completely irresponsible (laughs) and wrong. But do you think Bruce Aarons would have put up with Aaron Rodgers and the way he's behaved the last three years? Not a hope. He'd have cut him. He'd have cut him like he'd cut anyone else. He doesn't care. And there's many coaches. Belichick wouldn't put up with it. You know, the difference between great, Winning coaches is they understand that culture and leadership is at the center of every great football team. Packers don't have that. They have talented players. They have some of the best players in the NFL across both sides of the ball. But they're never going to win a championship until they instill a culture that is involved around leadership and is involved around this strong, unified bond. And they're not going to have that until Rogers leaves. And Rogers will be happy wherever he goes next. And you've only got to put up with him for two to three years. If Denver sign him, it's a great signing for Denver because he'll be happy for two or three years. And that's all you need him for. It's the same with Brady. Brady is now house money with the Buccaneers. He's won a ring. No one's no one's annoyed that Brady went out yesterday. And he didn't have a great first half. But no one's going to sit here. No fan of, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is going to sit here and call Brady out because he's already delivered. It's house money. Like, And I think Rodgers might go on a run and do something somewhere else because he'll be a different guy. But I think the time and everything is run down with when you're discont- discontent in your job, you've got to go. <laughs> like it's, that's the bottom line. Um, but yeah, I think the Packers will be an interesting one next year because I think they're going to need to do a massive rebuild. And, uh, as for where any of those guys end up in fantasy, it's way too early because they're one of, sort of two or three teams they're going to have to go through a complete rebuild and reload to see what happens. They are. But, and that's yeah. all about,
3: we mentioned Devon Adams and, and his position, and if he stays or goes or a new quarterback for Devon Adams in fantasy or does he change teams, there's, there's so many different variables there for all of those guys. It's, it's
0: Well, I I, so. I I think, going back to BJ's point, AJ Dillon looks a heck of a dynasty buy right now. Not that you should be buying loads of running backs, but if you're going to buy well, one on the cheap, AJ Dillon might be one that might be worth a a low second high third round pick if you can part him from somebody for that. Yeah. There's not that many running backs in this class coming out that are going to be as good as what AJ Dillon can be if he's given a free a free role next year.
5: Yeah, if he's only getting 10 to 12 touches and he does what he does, obviously the the offense will take a backseat <coughs> a little bit if Rodgers leaves, uh but you have to figure that like you're saying from a dynasty perspective. The odds are that by 2023-2024 he's the bell
3: cow 100%. Well, if, if they go with Jordan Love, you'd expect them to lean on the run game a little bit early on next year as well. So, and it's Aaron Jones' last year under contract there as well. So, yeah, yeah. it all could open up quite nicely for him in the next sort of two year window. So, yeah, I, I agree. And I
0: think to... he
3: gets a lot more usage next year. Yeah, that takes us to Sunday then. Murph,
5: really? <laughs> I'm exhausted. Wow, after uh, we're only up to Sunday, <laughs> Sunday oh, afternoon,
3: we saw we saw Saturday right? And it couldn't get any better than them two games. And then Sunday <laughs> came round. We had a an eight hour wait from, from waking up to the evening to sit and watch the games and. Right.
0: That really quickly, don't dwell on it. Just get it out. No, of it. I, I mean it was it was it was a phenomenal entertainment spectacle. I mean, I don't know what happened with the Buccaneers in the first half, but they just didn't turn up. Um, no. Defense or offense, the the soft the coverages were so soft. I mean, you talk about a plan to stop Cooper Cup, and what I don't know how many how many. Broken coverages there were, but there were so many. Yeah. You know, the and you know, it, it felt bad for for Josh Wells. Josh Wells was hurt, he was playing instead of Tristan Worth's. They moved Aaron Donald along to, to completely manipulate that matchup. I think if you look at I, I question why the Buccaneers didn't make an adjustment there, take Wells off. Mm-hmm. I probably would have moved Kappa out or outside, Stinney. just yeah, and bring Stinney in. I think yeah. that would have given you a, a little bit more stability on the line. I think you could have dealt with the way that you you manage Aaron Donald because they just had their way with them in the first half. Um, there were some drops. There were some difficult um, – yeah, it was just a difficult spell. And, you know, the turning point of this game was right before the half. It looks like they're going to score. Cam Akers fumbles the ball right near the goal. line. It's a heck of a play to loosen the ball. Yeah. Um and you know what favorite, score I think, yeah because yeah, yeah. any any score there and the game's over for me um we mm-hmm. and then they get the ball you know they go 27-3 you think that's over and i think brady's going to get a lot of the plaudits for the comeback even though it fell short i still don't think brady had a great game i mean he, okay lands a 55 yard dime to evans that's probably one of the prettiest balls that you'll see to do that, forty four is incredible. But he, you know, he made some errors of judgment. It was tough because he had no receivers. You know, uh, Jalen Darden had concussion. Um, you know, Tyler Johnson was injured. They lined up Cameron Brate as a wide receiver. That's kind of how desperate the Buccaneers got yesterday. But they they found a way. And, and, and you know, I think this is where it. I would rather lose that the way that the Buccaneers did than lose the way that the, say the Packers did. Because the Packers will sit there and say, "Well, our special teams sucked. We just." we blew it on special teams that's what a packers fan will tell themselves they'll think they were the best they were the best team all year and they lost it on a freak play or two freak plays due to special teams and they're like we'll just take that blame it's kind of papering over the cracks The buccaneers team you know that we were poor we knew there our injuries but even with everything with all the players out with everything they fought until the final 35 seconds of this game and as a fan, that's all I ever want. If the team are going to lose, at least go out of a bit of bottle that no one's questioning effort, leadership, quality. You know, every every person who came out and spoke about the Buccaneers from the players' perspective yesterday and today talked about this locker room special. And you know what? They put it out there and showed it. Yes, they made mistakes. Yes, it was poor at times. But they showed a desire and willingness to win. And you can't buy that. You can't buy that. That's the difference for me. If the Buccaneers can keep Brady, uh, by the way, the question is going to come up. He's going to stay right. Zero doubt in my mind because he's, and this isn't just a Homer pick here. You know, it just financially makes sense. He deferred 15 million of his signing bonus to next year. So if he leaves, he's got to repay the Buccaneers $16 million. He's not doing that. He's not doing that. It's not going to happen. He's not going to repay the Buccaneers, 16 million. The Buccaneers might let him off it, maybe. <clears throat> but it goes against their cap. It goes against, it's already tight, 22-odd million they've got. Are they really going to just have that money against their cap next year? Probably not. I think they might let him defer it another year, free up the cap space, go one more, and then say, do you know what, we'll take the hit and a rebuild. Because yep. I think this team thinks they can come back That's why Bruce is coming back. I think we always say good teams need that bit of pain and anguish as well. And you feel the Buccaneers can hold the core of the scene together. They're coming back next year with that bit of pain and anguish. hundred percent. And and they'll know. They'll know that if injuries didn't get to them, they'd have had a good shot of winning this thing. I think they win yesterday. I think they turn over the 49ers. I think in regardless of what state, that's no disrespect. And then they play whoever's in the AFC title game. And I think then what happens? But I think the Bucks have a. If Godwin doesn't go down, if Worths doesn't go down, this team had a heck of a shot. I mean, this defense—they won 13 games. That defense played for the first time together all season since we quite winning things. Yeah. No, they hadn't played together all season. There's always been someone out. Yeah. So I think you know, you can't moan about the luck because last year the Buccaneers had it all. They have very few injuries and won won the Super Bowl with minimal injuries. This year wasn't their year injury-wise. But the talent's still there. They'll draw people. I think Brady comes back. Gronk, I probably expect to come back listening to his comments today. He sounds like a man who who seems quite motivated to come back. Um, I think they'll lose some players, but I don't yeah. think they're that... I you bring, you bring most of these players back, and I think they'll do it. There's no reason they're not going to be up there again next season. And I think it will be the final... Run of it for Brady. I think next year's his last year. I think he's done. We always it. said he wants
3: to play at 45, didn't he? So that is next year.
0: Well, and I just think, I just don't think he's given the Buccaneers back 16 million. And I just don't think the Buccaneers will want him to, I don't think they're going to give it to him this year and have it go against their cap number, knowing that they do have guys under contract that are in a win now. At best, they'll yeah. reload, but they won't rebuild next year. They might rebuild yeah. the year after. So I think, I think Brady comes back, they work it out. They might even give him like a little sweetheart deal where they void a load of years, they push the money out three, four years, and they give him a big payday. I don't know how they're going to do it, but Brady, Brady will be fine. <laughs> and I think he'll be back. I think he'll be motivated yeah. to come back. I think he he, And more importantly, he's back. still capable. And we saw that yesterday. He, he didn't is. have his greatest. And game, also, but he's by the way, we, still capable. And we've done no justice to the Rams here. I thought the Rams were excellent, especially in the first well,
3: half. I was just about to ask BJ, because as me and you are both Bucks fans, yeah. BJ, give us an unbiased opinion on it.
5: <laughs> well, I thought that, that was still pretty uh, pretty good. <laughs> uh, the end, but I was pretty impressed with that. Um, the, uh, first of all, I'd love to see a stat that shows uh, how many uh, times a Tom Brady-led team has lost after coming back from, let's say, two touchdowns down. The idea that, that when Brady's coming back, there is a sense of impending doom. Yeah. Um, and the game against the Falcons in the Super Bowl uh, was the pinnacle. Of that, that after that you, could, you just couldn't count him out, and I think in this game we saw Matthew Stafford in only his second what a second postseason game ever or second mm-hmm. win, second Brady there. win, second
0: win ever, yeah,
5: second win. Brady and that offense forced Stafford and Cup to to do the near impossible, which is you've just blown a twenty one point lead, twenty four point lead uh, on the road. Against the defending Super Bowl champs, and you basically have thirty seconds left because if you lose the, lose the coin toss, you are probably going to lose at that point. Mm-hmm. And and they do it; they do the near impossible. Um, I I think it was I think that's the big story for me is that um, Matthew Stafford put on on the highest level was able to go toe to toe with Brady and come out on top, and that is something that if the Rams end up winning the Super Bowl. Stafford's legacy is now secure, even more secure having beaten Brady on the biggest stage on the road. I think that's just a freaking big deal. Um, I think Cam Akers is going to be a fascinating draft pick next, next year. I, I tweeted out when the game started that he'll be in my top five after he fumbled a couple times. I, uh, I, I tweeted again and said maybe top seven. Um, <laughs> but uh, 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 Cam Akers is a special player. I'm fascinated to see what Darrell Henderson and Sonny Michelle, you know, if that core stays together, whether Cam Akers is the bell cow, he has sky high potential in that offense. Uh, And I'm really interested to see whether he's overdrafted or underdrafted next year Uh, for the bucks. One, one observation I have, um, and I have a more cynical view of this, uh, uh, which maybe isn't helpful for this conversation but you look back on some of the best passing offenses in NFL history and you look back on Peyton Manning's, you know, 2013 Broncos, he had the late Demarius Thomas, he had Julius Thomas, Eric Decker, Emmanuel Sanders, um, arguably with all respect to, to DT, arguably none of them hall of famers, um, in terms of their, their, uh, although DT deserves it the most, um, uh, he was the best, he was the number one receiver on the one of the best passing attacks in NFL history. And yet, person to person, the Bucs are better with their big four. Um, Evans, Godwin, Gronk, Antonio Brown, all future Hall of Famers. Provided Godwin and Evans just play out their careers as expected.
0: That's bold. I don't think Brown gets there anymore.
5: <laughs> I, so, so, <laughs> that's a fair point. All, all uh, with the production to match Hall of Fame yeah. and production. But you're exactly right. So I'm, I'm dating myself because I've been saying this now for two off seasons. Basically, is that this team, this Bucks team, was built to go undefeated um, yeah. if everyone stayed healthy. This was an unstoppable team. Mm. Uh, and what Leonard Fournette did uh, to run away with the running game, which this offseason, no one knew if Fournette or Ronald Jones was actually going to be the you know the guy. There was some speculation that there would be Fournette, but it wasn't clear this offseason. No. And the fact that you had a dominant running game in Fournette and the Bucks still didn't make it to the NFC title game, despite losing two of their be- you know better receivers, two of their top four, My cynical perspective on this is they still had a super team. They Mm. still had one of the game's top uh, receivers. They still had the, I think, third best tight end in terms of points per game. Um, And they still had a top five running back. And they still had a good defense that if not for some awful broken coverages, I mean, let Van Jefferson uh, lose you the game. Don't let Cooper Cup lose you the game. And, And I think Cooper Cup has dominated Brady, for now for three straight games, if you look at his his numbers, he has about 500 receiving yards and about five touchdowns in three games, give or take. Mm. And the game before that, that he would have played against him was the Super Bowl. They lost 13 to three, that ACL tear. And I think one of the subtext for this story was a Cooper Cup led offense that should have been in Super Bowl 53. And we finally got to see on the biggest stage what Cup can do um, to uh, a Brady-led team. I, I know that you know they don't face off against each other, but I did see this as a Cup versus Brady battle. I wrote about it as such, um, and I felt that Cup was uh, – this was the game that, that we've been waiting three years from him since he tore his ACL. And um, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see whether next year he is a first-round – a frequent first-round fantasy draft pick and whether that will be a smart move, uh, given what he did. Is is he now officially um, the new Michael Thomas in terms of you can't go wrong with Cooper Thomas? <laughs> I
0: just – yeah, I couldn't do it. I couldn't – I don't think you can draft him in the first round. I just don't We'll get, it. get on to fantasy
3: players a bit later, Murph. That's coming up. Hold your horses on that one. Um, Bill's Chiefs, though, rounded out an exceptional weekend. I was going to say really quickly, we'll get on to the players, but how do you talk about that Bill's Chiefs game? Mm-hmm really quickly it's it's not possible it? although they did everything really quickly including 18 points in about a million and a half so <laughs> well,
0: i think I think, I think you're looking at the new manning and brady yeah i hate that comparison but but it is what it is right you're looking yeah. at the two quarterbacks and with Burrow, i guess you'd have the the roethlisberger spice to what is going to be the AFC for the next ten to fifteen years? Um, <clears throat> you've got three outstanding quarterbacks. You know, in in Mahomes and Allen, they're very similar in age. In you're looking at players now, and I don't know how you stop Allen and and Mahomes for the next ten years. I don't I don't know how you're going to do it. Um, and then. You add Herbert into the mix, and then you add you add Burrow into the mix, you add Lamar Jackson into the mix, you know, all these guys are, are are 26 or younger, and you're sitting there thinking, wow, I tell you what, the AFC for the next the next 10 years, if they all stay healthy and they all avoid serious, serious injury, that's that's a that's a conference, I tell you now. It's gonna be an absolute war um over the next 10 years and i for one cannot wait to pay my money and watch it because it's going to be phenomenal and you know i we have the only way you can really talk about yesterday's game is that that was the pinnacle of sport and pinnacle of nfl you watch two quarterbacks who just didn't put a foot wrong they didn't make a mistake they they left everything on the field you know you can't be critical of the bills for you know, people will say, Oh, well, they gave up, you know, the plays to Mahomes with, you know, 13 seconds on the clock. They let him get the field goal. They did, but they tried to win the game because they knew they just knew that if he got the field goal, it was going to be over. They rushed four. They tried to get to the quarterback. It didn't happen. I don't I don't mind them for doing it because I think they knew. I think they knew if they lose the toss, they're not going to get a chance. And and that is what happened. And I think they just tried to end the game. And you can't blame them for that. You can like you want to sit there and that's, if that is the only fault. That's the only fault you can probably pick from the whole game because Allen for the last two weeks has been exceptional. Mahomes was was terrific, and the only the only crime yesterday was the overtime rule in the NFL. You know this is this is now the end of the end. This is the end of the the NFL overtime rule. It's it's it will not survive because people were deprived of the true ending of this game. People, and and that is how it would be viewed. You know, a few years ago, there was, it almost changed when Brady robbed, pickpocketed Mahomes of his first Super Bowl appearance. But I think enough people probably thought, "Mm, nah, we'll probably leave it as it is. Having that game last night end the way it ended left everybody with a sour taste in their mouth because I think everybody in the world. Wanted to put an arm around Josh Allen and say, here's a ball, go have a, go have a shot. And he might not make it. And then he might lose the game. But at least then Josh Allen can say, Hey, I had my shot, I didn't pull it off. You know, he lost to a coin flip. That's what he lost to. Josh Allen did nothing wrong yesterday. He was he was terrific. He's my favorite quarterback in the NFL um to watch. I I would I would watch him every single week and twice on Sundays. I'd have him on any team I'd ever I'd ever coach or run or watch whatever. I feel for him because he did not deserve to lose. He certainly didn't deserve to lose in the fashion that he did.
5: Um, I'll add to that and say that uh, uh, a couple months ago, I wrote on our uh, Pro Football Network Facebook blog. Um, it was after a tough loss. I think it was when Allen lost uh, to the Jaguars just that inexplicable loss, his worst game of the season. Um, And my question, kind of rhetorical question was, is Josh Allen a franchise quarterback or a franchise elevating quarterback? And the difference is obvious, right? The franchise quarterback, there's a lot of franchise quarterbacks in the league. They'll play for five plus years on that team. Um, They're not going anywhere. And then we'll see what happens when their contract is up. Um, Maybe they stick around another, you know, five-year contract. The franchise elevating quarterback really does, you know. You know there's, there's, uh, they're not replacement value. You can't just go out and find another. And I think Josh Allen has demonstrated that he is one of the very few franchise elevating quarterbacks in the league. Uh, there's, you can probably count them on one hand in terms of that level, uh, where you put mo- almost every other quarterback in that situation going into Kansas City against Mahomes. Um, Uh, with Stefan Diggs apparently locked down pretty, pretty tightly and still find a way Um, and uh, you know, all, all credit to him. And I got to say also I've had a soft spot for Jarek McKinnon since 2015 when he was backing up Adrian Peterson Um, two busted years uh, of season ending injuries in the, in the preseason kind of drifting around the league, trying to find, trying to find a, a home. I think, I think it's remarkable, and I it's why, one of the reasons why I love sports, is guys like Jarek McKinnon, who uh, was the heir apparent to Adrian Peterson and then got signed by San Francisco to be their number one. And then he got hurt, and he never recovered. Um, and now he's the de facto number one. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is officially the number one, but it's very clear that Jarek McKinnon brings a skill set and a burst that uh, Edwards Hilaire does not currently have. And uh, I think if the Chiefs go all the way, uh, McKinnon is deserving of something uh, for persevering through what I think a lot of NFL players uh, might have wilted um, under similar circumstances. So that's my take.
0: No, I love that. I couldn't agree more. I thought he was terrific yesterday, and do you know what? He looked well he, above everything else. He looked really, really healthy. He just looked like the German kid, German kid in the vault. He, he ran with power, with confidence, and yeah, it was it was terrific to see. It's just you know we'll never do that game justice last night. Just go back and watch it. Just just go back and watch it. It really was
1: just a, a fantastic watch.
0: We are all entitled to sexual health,
3: just as much as physical and mental health.
4: always have a winner and you know I, I
0: know some bills fans i know how gutted they are this morning do you know what and, and i get it right it's i think it's easy for us as bucks fans to take the loss because we got a ring last year we you know i'm not trying to rub that in but that that softens <laughs> the blow it softens the blow. Also, does, we yeah. the, and we won we won the division which we've not done for for 14 years you know those kind of things do soften the blow just a, just a little bit um Josh Allen will win. He will win a Super Bowl with the Buffalo Bills. A hundred percent. There's no way he cannot. There's no way he cannot. He is too good. He's too talented. He might be the Peyton Manning of this story. But you know what? Manning got two rings eventually. Might take him a bit of time. And they might be the Indianapolis Colts. And they might be the bridesmaid next year. Maybe even the year after. But I tell you now, he will bring that Super Bowl ring to Buffalo and he's not gonna leave Buffalo until he does it. He's not, he's not gonna leave. No way. Yep. So championship weekend's coming up. Bengals at Chiefs,
3: Niners at Rams are, are two matchups. Let's just hope they can live up to what we had this weekend. Um which way do you see him going, BJ? Um
5: I it's too early for me to, uh, uh, to figure it out. I'm still, I'm still recovering and that's not a cop out. I've thought about it a lot. Um, as I'm sure a lot of football fans have, I'm sure you all have, you know, in the last, uh, you know, 16 hours or so. Um, uh, it's, it is hard to bet against any of these teams. Um, the easiest one to bet against on paper for me is the Niners, but I'd be stupid to bet against them. Uh so it's it really comes down to that. On paper, I feel like, well, you know, the Rams and the Chiefs just seem to have that extra cachet of of veteran leadership. Um, they've been there um, and they're playing at home. And those are some intangibles. But we saw several home teams with veteran quarterbacks and veteran teams lose this past weekend. Um, so I don't think that's enough. And the uh, the reality is that um, that all all four of these teams have um, players who can take over games. Um, Any of the you know Tyreek Hill can 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 uh, get 200 yard game. Jamar Chase can get a 200 yard game. Cooper Cup can get a 200 yard game. And Debo Samuel on the ground and through the air can get 200. I mean, this is this is an incredible situation that we're in right now. Um, and all I can say is it's it's impossible to live up to the expectations of last weekend. Um, but at the very least, we can take comfort that there's going to be uh, a quarterback who's never won before, uh, except for uh, Patrick Mahomes, who has. So I'm sorry, three, three out of four have never won it. Um, uh, so I, I, I messed up there. Uh, uh, but there's a high likelihood not perfect, but a high likelihood that we're going to have a, a first-time quarterback as a Super Bowl champion. Um, and if the Chiefs do win it, then, man, after what we saw last year um, it's and what we saw in the beginning of this season, starting three and four, to me, this Super Bowl might mean more to the Chiefs, given the adversity they faced, than the first one when it looked like they could do no wrong. I think that's what makes this such a compelling story for the Chiefs uh, this
0: year, given how they started. Fair Murph
3: are you gonna jump off the fence are you
0: gonna pick a side? yeah, yeah i'll pick up I'll jump off the fence i have said the the Go chiefs all along in the a f c uh to come through the game that they that they did against uh resurgent bills you you can't you can't not pick the chiefs two the two main reasons i'm i'm not gonna s- i'm not gonna swivel despite what the Bengals did first of all that pass rush of the chiefs is gonna be just as brutal as the one that the Titans bring Frank Clark is in the form of his life. He's going to eat Joe Burrow alive, I think, at times on uh, on Championship Sunday. Um, but also just the coaching staff. I just think Zach Johnson, he's proved me wrong in a lot of ways. I've not been a big Zach Johnson fan. In fact, I've said he probably should have gone last season. He's surprised and developed in a lot of ways this season, but there are still those mistakes. We saw some on on Saturday. We saw some in the World Cup round where just that the clock management, the way that you handle close games um and some of the play calling is just a little bit you know we, we saw it at times that joe burrow had to go to the line he had to make out audibles not just because of the coverage but just because he felt that the play design in that situation was wrong it's great that burrow has that confidence and ability to do that because not many quarterbacks do in the nfl but that, that those are the little telltale signs that say i just don't pick the coaching staff to, to beat Andy Reid and the Chiefs who have been here, done it for straight time they've hosted the AFC title game uh, NFC side I'm going to go again, coaching reasons, um, I'm, I'm going to go with the Niners and I look at what Sunday taught me about the Rams which is an incredibly competent team full of talent, full of incredible players who can just make play after play after play and yet they were the twitchiest team I've ever seen with a twenty-four point lead. I just the mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. There's no way that any team should come back in the way that the Buccaneers did, and some of those were so self-inflicted. It's fine if if a play is made and it's an incredible play, but you know they turned over the ball after turning the ball over themselves where Stafford's not even looking and the ball goes over his shoulder, like stuff like that cannot happen at this level of football. That says that there is a bit of a confidence issue for me that they're just, if they're getting into a tight game. And I think because the Niners have had their number so consistently, you know, you got to remember that LA and Sean McVay right now are absolutely kicking themselves because they could have eliminated the Niners in week 18. They could have eliminated them from the playoffs and did not. They could have hosted Sunday's game, but did not. They had a lot to play for in week 18 and did not do it. And they're going to rue that because Carl Shanahan, that is his mantra is like, you know what? These guys don't respect you because they didn't turn up in week 18 thinking it didn't matter. The story's going to write itself. I just think Carl Shanahan is going to find a way to expose some of the weaknesses that are in McVay's coaching, and there isn't a lot. But I think his game management in the second half was abysmal. I think in in any other situation, a cooler, calm, and collected coach would have found a way to just eat some more clock, to just manage the game, to just do you know what? Don't just don't deviate from what you're doing. You're hammering the opponents. Just just put the ball in the air. Put the game to bed. It got too conservative at times. It got a little bit, they just tripped over their own feet. And he just didn't take a step back and just go, okay, we just need to work out what we're going to do here. And I think Carl Shanahan is going to exploit any weakness that's given to him. And I just think Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to make any mistakes. And if he doesn't make mistakes, I just think that they're going to get it done. So I'm going Niners. I'm going Niners Chiefs. Super Bowl.
3: We didn't particularly on the same one I think last week but I, I, I'd go nine as Chiefs too so uh, we'll see if we can get these two right this week. So um, Moving on, we've been remiss without BJ here to, to do a way too early little look ahead to, to some players in fantasy perspective for 2022. So a few questions we've got to go through and we'll touch on you guys and your, your early thoughts here. Um, so first one, what players have really added to their value over the past month? I'm sure we've probably touched on a few. During our run through of those, uh,
5: those, yeah, games. I, I got a couple to throw out there. One, one is Joe Burrow. Um, not long ago, he had, I think it was six touchdowns across six games. I mean, it was, he was, uh, struggling. He'd hurt his finger during that stretch. Um, uh, and he came on strong at the end, uh, and strong is an understatement. Um, cool. uh, and he is now, uh, in this prime position of having two young receivers and a strong number one running back um, uh, bolstering his uh fantasy prowess. Not that he cares about his fantasy value, but managers do. <laughs> so, so he has built his value. I felt like around week uh, 13, week 14, there was some scuffling that had been going on just statistically. He was not putting up the kind of production that you want out of a QB one by any stretch and then he demonstrated that his ceiling is on par with everyone else's. And that's what people are waiting to see. Uh, okay. The other one is Rashad Penny, who I okay. did not buy into. Um, I, uh, I I saw someone who is a more one-dimensional running back, not good in the passing game, uh, more TD dependent than I cared for, uh, I in an offense that was struggling. Um, and he far exceeded my expectations. Uh, he's finally in year, you know, whatever, three, year four, finally come through. And uh, Chris Carson's status atop this depth chart is still a question mark after uh, his neck injury and uh, questions about Carson's durability in general. Uh, Penny has done everything possible to ensure that he will be on fantasy maps, uh, even if he's not named the starter next summer, or if he's not atop the depth chart, uh, he is still
0: someone that people have to take seriously. Fair. Murph, anyone stick out for you? Yeah i got a, a couple of different names, but I do agree with everything that, that PJ has, has said there. Um, for me, Devin Singletree, um, I think he's been absolutely exceptional. He proved that yeah. again yesterday. Um, I, th- there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that they're going to just pound in the rock um, next year. Um, so if you've got Zach Moss in Dynasty, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I still think there'll be some form of role, but I don't think it's going to be what you kind of hoped. I think Devin Singletree is a massive arrow up uh, next okay. season. I He's one that I almost think could be overdrafted. I think it could go too much the other way. I think if you get him in that sort of fourth round range, I think he's a really interesting pick at that stage of the draft, maybe late third. Kind of where I, David Montgomery went this
3: year. That's Yeah, of that
0: sort of range area. I think is a yeah. really, really attractive place to take a a, a, a level bet on on someone like singletree next year. Let's see how that flushes out. Amon St. Brown. Yep. I mean what he did down the stretch is, is nothing short of phenomenal since week thirteen wide receiver two in PPR formats. Um he had three wide receiver weeks six weeks. He had a wide receiver two week in there as well. Just absolutely phenomenal what he did down the stretch. And um I wrote a piece for Fantasy Pros uh, this week I broke down all the twenty twenty one wide receiver rookies. Um had a lot of praise for him. I think he's, he's a really interesting player. Again, I am slightly worried how high he's going to go in drafts. Um, maybe that recency bias is just going to tip a little bit too much. And Detroit is going to be a really fascinating team in this offseason. What are they going to do with quarterback? What are they going to do with the wide receiver core? What are they going to do from a talent perspective? Um, but I really am intrigued to see what happens. But he's done his value. The world of good. he will be a very difficult player to get in dynasty right now. Um, yep. Odell Beckham Jr. is another one. If he gets re-signed by the Rams, if they can afford to do it, it'll be a really interesting uh, addition because he's kind of floated in this sort of sick, uh you know, sixth, seventh round wide receiver, always falling short. You know, he he is. Uh, yards per target looks—it's over ten. He, he's really becoming a playmaker in this offense. I, I want to buy any piece of this Rams offense next year. If he stays in LA, he'd be an interesting one for me. And last one we saw it last night was Gabe Davis. Mm-hmm. Not sure if they keep Emmanuel Sanders next year. And I tell you what—he—he he looks a really exciting um, player. And I know that all the hype was there last season. He had this great end of run in 2020, and everyone bought him this year, and it didn't happen until late, but. I just think um, this year is, is is or 2022 could be a year. So I'm intrigued in in Gabe Davis in in 2022 for sure. So there's some of the players I'm well, definitely think have done their values to the world of good. No point in me
3: going because I've got Amon Ra and and Gabriel Davis as someone I was incredibly high on last year. And the fact that they did bring in Sanders just said that the Bills probably didn't trust him. And it started out that way early in the year, but he's sort of stepped up and delivered again. So. Hopefully this year they, they put a bit more trust in him and go from there. So um, next one, then, we've got which 2021 rookies are you expecting a bigger breakout from going into 2022? What are your thoughts, guys? Um, off,
5: please, I'll, I'll jump know. in. You yeah, know, there's four guys. What's that? Yeah, go for it. Go on. sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, there's four guys I'll mention. Trevor Lawrence, uh, yep. I think he, he obviously has nowhere to go uh, but up. The question is, uh, is he a breakout candidate? I actually think he is there. I think they have the second most cap space of all teams. Um, uh, he is a uh, an extraordinarily good quarterback, dual threat um, who happened to have the card stacked against him a number of ways uh, in his rookie campaign. Um, and uh, I think that he is, we saw what happened with Patrick Mahomes in year two, uh, we saw what happened with Lamar Jackson in year two. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is, an ex- again, not someone to uh, take for granted as just a good quarterback. This is a guy who's supposed to be a franchise cha- changing quarterback. And I think if he gets a little bit of uh, support around him, namely one really good receiver, a Devontae Adams like receiver, someone at, at the level of, of a, of, you know, when DeAndre Hopkins went. To Arizona to completely remake that passing attack. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Lawrence needs. He lost it with DJ Chark, who had two touchdowns in his first three games before going out for the season. Uh Chark is not at a level that I'm talking about, but we could see what Lawrence could do, even as a rookie, if he had his guys healthy. I think an upgrade at receiver would go a long way. I'll throw so out BJ, also. Just, Fields, just on
0: that, let me just interject. Yeah. So looking at some of the players available on wide receiver. The, the names that stand out, Devontae Adams, that's going to be a tough one to do. Chris Godwin, Alan Robinson. Are they are, Would you put either or both in, in that caliber of receiver that Jacksonville would be looking at potentially and elevating his game? Would you think Alan Robinson's not quite at the level you're thinking of?
5: I, 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 Robinson is one of those. Anytime you get a guy like Robinson who has such an awful season from a statistical standpoint and pretty much uh, injury plagued and phased out, uh, it creates major questions over uh, whether, you know, uh, I'll call it Dwayne Bowe syndrome. You know, the idea of a a former number one caliber receiver who just because of injuries, because of, of whatever, just breaks down Kelvin Benjamin, similar situation. Um, Alan Robinson had a better track record than both those guys uh, but the fact is, um, it's hard to know if Robinson is at that level of being a difference maker at this stage in his career. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think Trevor Lawrence needs a top fifteen caliber receiver. He needs a guy there who is an anchor, uh, who he can grow with for the next three years uh, and develop his game with. And right now, if he's going to Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chanel and Dan Arnold, um, you know, solid players, role players. Uh, but he's no better off than Jared Goff uh, and probably worse off uh, w- with that receiving core. He needs uh, some uh, a playmaking talent that they can utilize to take some pressure off that offense. And uh, so that's my thinking on it, but I don't have any clear answers. Justin Fields, uh, for obvious reasons, I think, uh, you know, a year away from Nagy and uh, um, uh, being able to build that offense around him, he is, Uh, an incredible uh, uh, dual threat talent. Uh, Elijah Moore, also obvious reasons. Uh, He is arguably the best receiver for the Jets. Uh, I would put Michael Carter in the same boat. If the Jets truly commit to Zach Wilson, Michael Carter, and Elijah Moore as their big three for the next few years, uh, those three guys could be fantasy relevant every week. Um, And finally, Kyle Pitts, uh, who uh, was a different player when Calvin Ridley stepped away from football um Ridley uh, I think Pitts was the uh, TE3 or something like that when Ridley stepped away and then Pitts struggled being the number one guy alongside Russell Gage that entire uh, passing attack changed and as a rookie tight end put in that situation where defenses could clamp down more easily uh it was an untenable situation i think Pitts is a top 3 tight end this next year i think he gets about 230 plus fantasy points and i would draft him uh, happily in the fifth or sixth round of, let's say, a 14-team uh, league.
0: If he gets there. But, yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. But you're drafting him in the one area of a draft I absolutely hate taking tight ends. So <laughs> um, I'm going to go with on Ralston Brown because I've already said him, so it makes complete sense. I think he's going to break out even more. I'm not sure if you guys are going to give me Jalen Waddle, but I think Jalen Waddle is going to go nuclear next year. Um, I know he was the wide receiver 13. But I don't I think we've only seen the flashes try? of what I, I think top five. I think he's top five next year. Um, I just think with a with a with an actual offensive coordinator who can call plays um mixed in with the talent they've already got down there plus some draft capital they've got this year to probably shore up a couple of those holes i think they're a really really interesting team to watch it depends on who they hire i will caveat it slightly but i do think that waddle to Tua relationship is is special i think there's a lot of positive regression in that touchdown column he was not exploited in the red zone anywhere near as much because the Dolphins couldn't get near the red zone for want or money. Um, and then when they did, they decided to get it to the two-yard line and pound it in. I don't think they're going to do that this year. I think it's going to be a very different offense. And I think Jalen Waddle. Uh, you know, if I'm going to put a bold, bold take out there, he's going to outscore Jamar Chase next year. I genuinely believe that in fantasy football. I think he's going to outscore Jamar Chase if the environment is right. You know, I'm talking about offensive coach, offensive coordinator comes in, or the the offensive coach calls plays who is going to really dial up and really utilize the weapons that they do have down there because they're they're quite stacked. They have some very, very good players on that team. Um, But I think they just need to sort the coaching play calling out and need to just get the ball to Jalen Waddle a lot more than they did. Um, I've got a really, really super sleeper here. Um, And it's Amari Rogers of the Green Bay Packers. <clears throat> I think Amari Rogers is going to break oh. out in 22 because I don't see Devontae yes. Adams staying. I do not see, um, I do not see Aaron Rogers staying. I think they both go. They spend the third round draft pick on him last year. And you know, who is the person that he would have spent probably the most amount of time with this year? Jordan love. They had played loads of scout team together. It's, Jordan Love is gonna, I'm pretty sure he's gonna be the confident, he's gonna be the quarterback next year. He's gonna to go to the receiver. He has spent a lot of time with this year. They already have some form of chemistry. Amari Rogers looks decent in the punt return game. He has some burst, he has some speed that didn't really show up in his metrics. I just think Amari Rogers is, is primed in the situation where I don't think Randall Cobb's gonna get it done. MVS has always been slightly too inconsistent. There is a job there to be won by someone. I'm not convinced it's Alan Lazard is going to win the job. I can see Amari Rogers in this stage of uncertainty almost do something very similar to what Amaral St. Brown has done, and that is elevate himself in a pool of pretty average receivers to be mm-hmm. fantasy relevant. So if I'm picking a real late dark throw next year, Amari Rogers uh is the guy I'm gonna take. Fair. Um,
3: two names I've written down here is again, both wide receivers, Josh Palmer, yeah, uh, we got out of Tennessee, I thought with the Chargers, uh, I expected slightly more from him this year, but I think Mike Williams staying at the time, maybe detracted a little bit from from that big guy outside role, um, and Nico Collins at the Texans, he, he was lacking touchdowns Ooh. this year, he got something late on, so I'm hoping he can kind of build off of that now and uh, we'll move forward. Certainly someone I've got stuck on a lot of taxi squads in my dynasty roster, so hopefully that comes to fruition. Um, next question to throw at you guys then is 2021 disappointments that you're looking to bounce back next year. Who are we after, BJ? Who's let you
5: down this year that you, you're hanging on to in the hope that yeah. you can repay it? Just a, a few guys. Uh, Kenny Galladay, it's just hard to understand <laughs> um, how the Giants uh could have underutilized such an expensive player uh, so egregiously. Um, Obviously injuries played a role, but he's getting one, two targets a game down the stretch and it just looked like it was a broken team at that point. I think that uh, uh, depending on the quarterback situation next year, uh, depending on how the team is structured, uh, it's hard to imagine though that Kenny Galladay will be um, just stuck in neutral Um, They didn't pay that much to have that happen. So I think it's just kind of a, he has to bounce back or else uh, situation. Uh, Also the Broncos receiving core, uh, assuming they have a a quarterback upgrade, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or whoever, um, uh, Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy, Tim Patrick, two of the three getting big contracts, contract extensions. Um, They didn't do that so that these guys could get 30 yards a game. Uh, This is uh, a passing attack, that is just missing a quarterback. Um, and if you're investing in Sutton, Judy, and Patrick, uh, particularly Sutton and Judy, I think Patrick unfortunately remains the third wheel, even though he has a great deal of talent and can step up. He's more of the Tyler Boyd for me in this offense. Uh, I think that that Sutton and Judy are going to be underdrafted uh, next year, unless the Broncos sign a big-time quarterback, and then they'll probably be priced about right, but they should bounce back. And finally, uh, Naheem Hines one of my favorite bounce back guys. Uh, This is a guy who earned four fewer touches Mm -hmm. a game. Um, And yet he averaged more uh, yards per carry 4.9 than any time in his career. Uh, He was number five in broken tackles for all running backs with at least 20 carries all season. Um, And he improved his uh, yards after contact by half a yard this year over last year on all key metrics He was better than last year. The biggest difference was Jonathan Taylor-dominated touches. And because I don't believe that's going to happen in 2022, I therefore believe that Naheem Hines will be a major bounce-back guy. He was top 20 fantasy running back uh, last year. This year he was number 45, something like that. He will come back into the top 30 range, probably top 25 range, if they use him the way he should be used.
0: I'm so with you on Naheem Hines. I love that. I'm so, I'm like, I'm right there with you, 100%. Um, I'm going to rattle off just uh, three names for me. Nick Chubb, Um, I don't think Kareem Hunt is going to be back next year. I think they're going to really run the wheels off Nick Chubb next year. I really believe that they're going to use him more than they've ever used him before might push him into a bit of an injury risk, but I think he's going to get a volume that he deserves of his talent. And I think it's going to be make or break on the injury side to see whether or not he, he stands up. But for me, bounce back. I think he's due one. Uh, David Montgomery is another one for me. I actually think he's probably one of the most disrespected talents in the NFL. Um, yes, okay, he was injured last year, but I think, again, Matt Nagy leaving Chicago is absolutely no loss to Dave Montgomery. That's going to inflate his value um, quite significantly. So I think he's a very attractive option next year in Chicago. And I think that Chicago offense is primed to do something reasonably good, depending on who they get a receiver to replace Alan Robinson. Um, Last one is Chase Claypool. Um, He's going to get a quarterback that can throw. I mean, he didn't have that this <laughs> year. Um, I think he needs to sort his his game management out. I think he is a bit of a a bit of a diva, and I think that's a something he needs to get out of his game. But I think if he can do that, I think he's going to have a huge year in twenty twenty two. It's all set up for him to do it in in Pittsburgh. Obviously, depending, but if they get a a, a quarterback with an arm like Jameis Winston in, in free agency. Uh, Chase Claypool is going to be the guy who's going to benefit the most from that sort of talent. So either way, he's going to bounce back from where he finished. His range of outcomes will determine on the arm talent of the the player they bring in. If they bring in someone like Teddy Bridgewater, it's not going to go up as much as if it's going to be someone like um, a Jameis Winston or someone with, with a bit more arm talent and success. I mean, imagine if they get... I mean, they're not going to do it Aaron Rodgers... Chase Capel would probably be one of the most drafted wide receivers in football. Fair.
3: It's good I, I agree with BJ. I had Cortland Sutton on my list. Um, I've also got another giant on there. What's Saquon Barkley? Um, I'm not sure if I yeah. like that. <laughs> I know. I know he's got to stage, but the, the whole Giants organisation has been such a mess and, and not using things properly. So hopefully... Uh, and the other guy I've got is a, is a quarterback in Russell Wilson. Now... Whether he moves or stays, he may go under the radar if, as BJ said, Penny can cast out a role and Carson comes back. I just expect him to perform a little bit better than than he did this year. Uh, so I'd hope for, for something back on that one. So um, moving on, BJ, who's going to be drafted too high for you next year? Who are you not paying for?
5: Uh, Dan, I think you mentioned... Uh, Nico Collins, short time ago. So I'm going to go yep. Brandon Cooks as one of my okay. five drafted too high. Uh, he had, he accounted for something like 26% of all of Houston's targets in the passing mm-hmm. game. Uh, this was just a case where he was the one reliable uh, guy in that offense week in and week out. Yes. And that's not a sustainable proposition given the cap space that team has. They are rebuilding. Um, they're going to have uh, uh, a lot more surrounding talent. Uh, Cooks might be the, uh, you know, in the top 25 preseason next year. I still would fade him. Uh, I think he's going to be drafted too high. He's he's more of a a filler kind of player on a roster in right. general, and I think that's how it's going to be next year. I think Austin Eckler is going to be drafted too high. Uh, there's been talk uh, from the coaching staff about. Uh, not pushing him uh, as hard as they did this year. Justin Jackson uh, was able to finally step up, the former seventh rounder, and really, I shouldn't say finally, but he, when given the opportunity, he demonstrated he could be a good backup uh, uh, on this team, something they've been looking for for the past uh, uh, couple years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that they're going to give Eckler a little bit of a, a, a break uh, from that 300-touch pace, roughly, that he was on. Uh, Cordell Patterson is an easy draft too high. Um, I think that what he did, uh, for a while, he and Jonathan Taylor were my picks for MVP. Uh, cause I think Atlanta, when they were in the playoff hunt, you take Patterson out of that equation, uh, they would have been about a two and 10 team, uh, at that point, uh, instead of whatever they were five and seven, six and six, um, with a shot at the playoff. So, uh, Patterson is just a, a, a just a, a once in a decade uh, out of nowhere biding his time uh, mm-hmm. and breaking through in the right situation. I don't think it can strike twice. James Connor is going to be drafted too high. I think there's going to be an expectation, kind of like there was a few years ago in his first uh, full season as Pittsburgh's uh, starting running back, that he is the guy. Connor was never built to be the guy. I think he benefited from a whole Whole host of factors, including um, Edmonds' injury, including DeAndre Hopkins being out, uh, Kyler Murray being out for a while. Uh, when this offense is fully loaded and you've got seven guys to choose from, I don't think Connor is getting 18 whatever touchdowns again. Uh, and finally, controversial pick, but I, I, I'll be controversial if I think it's right uh, Jonathan Taylor. Uh, <laughs> in the NFL history, 72% of the time, uh, when a running back has had at least 350 touches, in a season, they have regressed sharply, on average, about 20 25% uh, the following year, whether due to injuries or simple regression. Uh, I warned against Derrick Henry this past summer. I warned against Christian McCaffrey, uh, Christian McCaffrey the previous summer. Same reasons. Um, there is a danger. There is a yellow flag when these guys are overworked. And even on a very minuscule level, level Jonathan Taylor, after that huge 32-touch outing he had, Mid-season, his yards per carry dropped about uh, three quarters of a point from that point going forward. I don't think it was a coincidence. His final two games, I think he had only one target, no receptions. Um, this is a guy who, who was not utilized. He was still dominant, but he's going to be the overall RB1 next year, no questions asked. Same thing with Christian McCaffrey two years ago. And I think the yep. mistake is we look at statistics, we look at probability, 72%. I, I've pointed out that number for two straight summers. I'll be pointing it to, out again for this third summer. He is—that is That is the reason why I'm fading Jonathan Taylor
0: as my number one. Fair enough. Who have you got? Uh, as I called up, had was on my list. Uh, by the way, BJ, I completely disagree with Brandon Cooks because Brandon Cooks has been the most underdrafted player in the last four years. I can't wait until he's a seventh round pick again this year, so that I can write about he's the most undrafted player for the fifth year in a row. Because the same article, right? You just keep he, publishing it. I, it's exactly that. It's the easiest <laughs> work. The easiest I'll ever week's do. work. Yeah. I literally all I have to do is just change the team and some statistics, and it's just print and go. This is just. It's just the guy puts up 1,000-yard seasons after 1,000-yard seasons after 1,000-yard seasons. He's always going to outperform his ADP as long as people like you continue to write him off. So please do because it makes my life easier. Um, uh, Cordell Patterson, obviously, is just the easiest one going. <clears throat> I'm going to be controversial with BJ and I'm going to go. I By the way, agree with Jonathan Taylor. I think he, he's definitely a candidate. Um, <clears throat> but Mari Cooper is another one for me. I'm just not sold on this Dallas offense being as potent as people keep saying it is. Um, it does not score touchdowns at the rate it should be scoring touchdowns. It does not score points at the rate it should be scoring points. And it does not – it has not sustained enough fantasy player relevant week to week to week. The investment is in CD Lab. The investment is in, you know, see, Cedric Wilson. It's, I, Cedric Wilson is the guy I'm buying in this offense, 100%. Mm-hmm. I think Gallup is out the door. I think Cedric Wilson. I just think Amari Cooper is – He's going to have games, but Amari Cooper has yet to really produce those top 10 fantasy games on a consistent basis that is going to warrant the fourth round pick that you're going to have to pay for him, that you have to pay for him every year. He does not ever return his ADP. He hasn't returned his ADP in the last two years, maybe the last three years, maybe even the last four years. He's not going to return it again this year. It's just not. It's going to be CeeDee Lamb, Cedric Wilson, uh, Zeke. Um, to a degree, Um, at the tight end. I mean, whether it's Schultz, whether it's um, Jarwin, whoever it's going to be. I mean, it could be whoever, right? But I just don't see – he just doesn't command enough for me. Am I a good player? It's going to be fine. You'll get him as a wide receiver three. He'll put up high wide receiver three numbers. He'll be a top 30 player. But you're paying the premium for him every year. And I'd rather – you know, you were drafting – Amari Cooper over players like Cooper Cup over DJ Moore, which, all right, I know DJ Moore didn't necessarily pan out, but I'd rather shoot for the ceiling. If I'm going to go in that round and go for someone, I want someone who's going to return me a top, a potential top 10. Deontay Johnson was a player that you could have got a round and a half later. Tyler Lockett was someone you could have got two rounds later than Amari Cooper. That's going to continue to be the case for me. So I have to fade Amari Cooper because it's going to be the same.
3: Fair enough. My one's probably quite controversial. i think Kyle Pitts. Um, somebody I think will be drafted Ooh. too high and the expectation on him is still high. Ridley going out, as BJ mentioned earlier, took put a huge weight on Pitts' shoulders and he, he struggled to carry that for a while. Uh, we don't know, I guess, if Ridley's going to come back and play football and if he does, if it's with the Falcons. Um, and I can't see them making a big enough change on, on their O-line and giving him enough help with other receivers to to kind of help him shoulder that burden a little bit, so I think he's a huge talent. I think he'll in dynasty repay you over the years. I just don't think it's next year for me, so I will skip it and grab one later on. Personally, um, sorry guys, that's probably a bit controversial. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I get
0: the logic on it, hundred percent. I'm not a big early
3: drafter of tight ends anyway, I have to be honest. So I'll sooner pick two or three late down and hope to pump one and and waiver one each week and see how he goes. So I think there's better value elsewhere than the tight end
5: okay. well, So I'll say I've I've often been like that, and this year I drafted Mark Andrews and um he single handedly got me to the playoffs. I mean single handedly in certain <laughs> games he scored points that put me over the top that no human tight end should ever be able to get so it's i i think you have to get really lucky with a tight end if you draft them Uh, and and then for that i agree with you if you draft a tight end and he's the eighth best tight end was it really worth it probably not um Mm -hmm. so if you draft a tight end it better be a difference maker or else what's the point yeah fair enough
3: Uh, really quickly then there's one name from each of you who is the player you want on all your teams bj
5: uh, for the third straight year, Alexander Madison.
0: Ooh, okay. <laughs> Murph? Uh, same team, different player, Justin Jefferson. Okay. Mine this year is going to be Deontay Johnson Improvement at QB. That uh, was mine last year. Was it? That was my last year. Was-
3: that didn't go too well. <laughs> I-, I
0: took that one to the bank last year. Uh, Super. <laughs> yeah. uh, BJ, i the think one glad I- that
3: I- you the one player you're fading next year, the BJ. Who are you not any Of
5: um, it's probably going uh, <laughs> to be Saquon Barkley, <Okay>. to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but see, for me, this is it's a it's a great question. Both these questions, and I, uh, Alexander Madison was a serious answer, but it was also uh, to the point of, um, I'm you know, we're always looking for value, right, in drafts. Mm-hmm. So I might fade someone, but if they keep dropping. Yeah, they'll reach a point where I say I can't fade them anymore. And so uh, when it comes to someone like Alexander Madison, you know, eighth round, ninth round, I'm taking Alexander Madison. I know that there's going to be two, three games in the season when I'm getting an RB1. That's yeah. what I'm drafting at that spot. Um, yeah. When it comes to fading, just fading, I'm going to say Barkley. And if he drops to the end of the second round and I say, all right, you know, roll the dice. Yeah. But the reality is I don't think I want the hassle of having someone at that level that I expect so much from who comes with such serious risks that for all intents and purposes, Barkley is a fade, but I could backtrack on it if he if he just falls to a point where I go, the risk of taking him at this point is so minimal because I could get, you know, the 12th best receiver or whatever, if it gets down into the third round, or I can take a chance on a running back who, if things break right, is a top eight running back. You know, it's a no-brainer at that point. But Barkley right now would be my fade. I've
0: I've earmarked him for a bounce back year, so grab him. Um, Murph, who are you fading? Barkley was mine, so I'm going to give you another name. Um, I'm going to give you Stefan Diggs. (laughs) Uh, I love Stefan Diggs. There's no knock on Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs is going to be a second-round player again this year, like he was a second-round player last year. The the problem with Stefan Diggs is not actually Stefan Diggs. It's just the fact that he doesn't put up enough wide receiver one weeks to warrant spending that kind of capital on a player. Yes, he's going to be a lovely, safe-floor top-ten play. That's not what you're drafting in the second round. You're drafting guys who are going to win you weeks. You're going to draft Justin Jefferson. You're going to draft these players who will have wide receiver one, wide receiver two overall finishes. You know, Stefan Diggs last year, four four wide receiver one weeks. You know, he finished a handful of points ahead of Justin, um, of Deontay Johnson, who we've already mentioned, who you could have got four rounds later. For me, if you want that safe player, there's those guys that you're going to get three rounds, two rounds later than Stefan Diggs for the same rough sort of points and leading wins you're going to get. There's no knock on the player. I think he's terrific. I think he's going to get guarded a lot more this year. We saw that last year or 2021. I think he's going to be in a similar situation because you're not going to have an outstanding talent. Um, So Stefan Diggs for me, someone in the second round, I can't take third round, maybe. Fourth round, definitely pulling the trigger. I'm like, I'm like BJ at end of the third, fourth round, I'm in. Um, yeah. because at that point, he becomes a value. But if you're going to go in the second round, I'm out all day long. I can't take him.
3: Fine. Uh, and I've gone for an either or. I've got OBJ or Robert Woods, depending on whether O'Neill Beckham stays at, at the Rams. I can't see Cup OBJ and Woods being sustainable. And I think OBJ and Robert Woods eating to each other too much to make even them a viable option at where they'll be drafted. So, um, depending on what they do, either or if they're both on the Rams offense. So, um, BJ, just before we wrap it up, tell us a little bit about whether people listening and watching can, can get more from you, articles, Twitter, et cetera. What have you got?
5: Oh, it's very nice. You uh, get BJ Rudell. You can read my stuff on uh, Twitter, at BJ Rudell, and also Pro Football Network, where uh, I'm director of fancy football. Uh, and uh, that's at profootballnetwork.com. We have, uh, even in the off-season, Um, dozens and dozens and dozens of articles every week uh, that my team and I produce Uh, these days. We've been doing a lot of prop bet recommendations, uh, draft Kings and fan duel recommendations. Um, I did have, for those of you who do draft Kings, uh, I made the case in one of my articles just to show that we don't, we, we try not to commoditize this stuff. We try to be a little unconventional and challenge assumptions. And the captain slot for the Cincinnati, uh, 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 game. Uh, I had, uh, Evan McPherson as my captain, um, where, you know, you pay one and a half times premium on yeah. the price. So you have more cap space, but you get one and a half times the production. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're trying to get people to think differently as we all are, uh, about fantasy football and not just going with uh, last week's stats, but really trying to think about what is the great game script going to be and how will players be impacted by that game script? And uh, so you can read our stuff at profootballnetwork.com.
3: Fantastic. And as always, you can find us at Five Yard Rush, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That just about wraps us up for, for this week. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Um, the Divisional championships yeah. are out of the way, conference championships to come. Murph, close us out.
0: BJ, as always, thanks for joining. Have to get you on again in the off-season and uh, start looking at 2022 and breaking it down because I love the way you think. So many of the things I agree with. A couple of things I'm contrarian with, but then that's why uh, we'll get together, right? It's, it's getting people that think differently, but I love the way that you do things. and You've been incredibly supportive of me and, and my work, so um, bless you. Thank you for coming well, on. And do check me. out Pro Football Network. And Need as on. always, ladies and gents, don't forget, keep rushing.